Welcome to the NLPCourses.com show, where we push past the hype and pull back the velvet curtains of creating a successful life with NLP. Diving into physiology, neuroscience, and linguistics so that NLP becomes a practical tool at home and in your career, moving beyond the techniques so that you can make a name, make money, or make a difference. Tune in weekly if you care more than others think wise as we set out on our quest to uncover the secrets of successful people from all walks of life. Make sure you head over to nlpcourses.com to subscribe to receive our newsletter and receive free transcripts of each show. Here's your host, NLP Master Trainer, John Cassidy Rice. Hello, my name is John Cassidy Rice and I have the pleasure to be your host for this podcast. This is part two of a Sean D'Souza interview where he's talking about structure and taking control of your life and business to live it the way that you want. Last time we left off talking about structure and public speaking. So back to Sean and Sean just give us a recap of the last thing you just said before we moved on to the second part of the interview. There is a friend of mine, Eugene Moreau. He came up with this concept called the 13-box system. And I think any speaker that wants to learn how to speak should listen or read the 13-box system and then apply it because there are horrendous speakers out there. I mean, and these are, I'm not talking about some newbies. I'm talking about people who are considered to be on the speaking circuit, who are charging $20,000. They cannot speak. They're just, they have this adoring fan following that, that seems to tell them that they're great and then they don't bother fixing their speeches. And, well, it doesn't seem to bother anyone but me, so it's okay. Right. <laughs> well, it's that structure you, you bring to what you do within your books, your articles. And I think, for me, a good example of that is the brain audit. Yep. using that mixture of metaphor and structure and content. The the thing is that uh, if a teacher were to be benchmarked by the students or a speaker were to be benchmarked by the audience, then you would have better speakers and better teachers. So I don't believe in bad students and I don't believe in horrible audiences that can't remember anything. I believe that as a speaker, you should only cover three points in any given time frame, which means seven days, seven hours, or seven minutes. You, you're only covering three points. And at the end of your speech, if the if the audience can't repeat uh, the sequence that you followed, then it is too difficult. Whatever you've covered is far too complex. Uh, it's the same thing with a teacher. A teacher explains something to you. How do you know that it's any good? The student should be able to to repeat exactly what they've learned in the same sequence, preferably, and not just the brightest student, but every student. And to me, what solves this problem is structure. And you see this structure at airports. You can take the person who's just gone off the plane, just been fast asleep, throwing up on the plane, and they get off at the airport and they don't have a problem. They get off in some strange country they don't have a problem. They get up at four in the morning, no problem. Why? Because there is structure in place. It shows you. Here are the toilets. There are the there. Here's where you pick up your bags. Everyone gets out of an airport. 
and everyone gets out in the airport very quickly. So when you have structure, you don't have a problem. When you don't have structure, like a lot of speakers and writers and stuff, then what you get is a ramble, and rambles, it's fine. It just it just doesn't allow the person receiving the information to then process it and implement it efficiently. Right, excellent. So how would we break down that structure? Let's say I was going to write an article. What would okay, so... Yeah, so everything has a completely different structure. Right. So if you're, if you're writing a book, it's going to be... So everything has an identical structure and everything has a completely different structure. So when you look at DNA, for instance, it's almost an identical structure, but then just little changes in the DNA, DNA cause one uh, being to be a giraffe and the other person to be a hippo and the third person to be a person. So there, there aren't such huge variations in DNA. And the same thing applies to writing an article versus writing a book versus doing something else. And to when you look at an article itself, there are at least two or three ways to write an article. So it's it depends on how you approach the structure. So one is I use a curiosity method to write an article, which is I start off with a story uh, or an interesting fact, and then I go on to uh, answering questions, which is how and what and why and when and all that stuff. And then we have um, the objections, because people don't just accept what you've said, but they're objecting. And then we have examples. We have uh, all, all the little bits and pieces uh, of an article, which I can't remember now, but I do it as I write um, that's one type of article. There's another article which is called a three-part article. or And, and the, this type of article is more like a presentation. So if you listen to the three-month vacation podcast, that is a three-part article. I start off with, this is what I'm, so I start off with a story or an interesting fact. I go off to, this is what I'm going to cover, one, two, three. I go into covering all of one, move to two. All of two, move to three, all of three, summarize and finish the article. So within articles itself, there is going to be these are the two forms of article writing that I use. But if I were a reporter, I would probably use something else. Um, the same thing applies to, say, a book. Now, a book will have uh, will have again, a structure where you might cover just three things in that book or three things in a chapter, but then we're talking... So the summary of a, a book is different from a summary of uh, an article. Um, you have more space to put graphics in a book, which you don't have in an article. So it's it's not a pat answer that I can give, which is, okay, just do this and you'll be fine. Each thing is going to have its own little structure and then substructure below it. Sponsor of this week's NLPCourses.com podcast show, the NLP Practitioner Training, designed to transform your life. Attend the first day completely free. Find out more. Head over to the website to secure your place with the next NLP Practitioner. So if I was wanting to find out how to do a structure what would be the best way because there's different structures for different 
things, there'll be different structures for different articles for speaking. And if I wanted to find a structure that worked for me, how would I go about that? The easiest way to do it is to deconstruct. So, for instance, let's say you're looking at a sales letter. You um, you're running to a sales letter. You think, "Wow, this I, I I've you know I ended up buying this product, or I almost buying this product." Well, what caused you to buy that product? So, print it out. Get a yellow marker and mark it out, and say, "What's happening here? What's happening there? What's happening there?" What you're going to do is you're going to get the basis of the structure. Now, maybe the first sales letter is going to teach you a little bit. The second sales letter is going to teach you a little more. The third one is going to teach you something else. When you look at, say, 20 sales letters and you have them in front of you on the floor, you're going to get a very clear idea. Even if they're written by completely different people, you're going to get a very clear idea. And this is how artists operate. You just don't realize it. This is how musicians operate. You don't realize it. What we... What an artist does is uh, when they're five years old, they copy one style. When they're seven years old, they copy a second style. The third, when they're 10 years old. And they keep copying different styles through their life. At some point in time, they get what they would call their style. So you would say Picasso had a certain style. But then Picasso is still getting influenced by different styles. And he can consciously deconstruct it, like I told you, just put all the sheets on the floor or he could do it very um, subconsciously in a way. He could look at something, it, his brain recognizes the pattern, and then he puts two and five together and makes 17 out of that, and that goes into his art. And that's how we know it, because when we look at Picasso's work or we look at uh, Beethoven's work or we look at anybody's work, what we see is... We see 10 people in that at the age of 17, at the age of 25, at the age of 35, and it goes on and on. So that's really what they're doing. They're taking, they're either consciously structuring it by deconstructing it, and great artists will do this all the time. I mean, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, his was all about deconstruction, deconstruction, you know, how a bird flies, how a human muscle works. It was like, figure this thing out. And then there are those that um, will also deconstruct, but not do it consciously. They're just, you know, able to pick up the pattern better or differently. And so they've, the brain is a very interesting mechanism. It's like if you give the brain 300 uh, examples and you tell the brain these are good examples and these are bad examples, it will learn how to decipher it with no studying. So uh, they did this in Japan. Um, they have something called chicken sexing, and it's less interesting than you think. Okay. Um, what happens is when a chicken is born, you can't tell if it's male or female. Well, the thing is that you have to feel, feed the, the male chicken for six weeks. Um, and then, of course, they destroy them because the males are pointless. They don't lay eggs. But for six weeks, you have to feed them. So there is this gruesome thing where they have to get rid of the male chickens. But how do they tell on day one? Well, there are people who can tell on day one. They just look at the chicken and they tell you. But they can't tell you how to do it. So how do you figure it out? Well, the brain figures it out. And the brain figures it out in this way. You show a person 300 examples. So, for instance, I pick up a chicken and I say, this is male. And you're the expert and you say, no, that's female. 
and we just do this over 300 times. After 300 times, you figured it out. Your brain has worked out a pattern and it has figured it out. So you can do it consciously and it's much quicker if you put all the sheets down on the ground and deconstruct it. Or you can do it subconsciously by having 300 examples float past you, good examples, bad examples, knowing which are good examples and bad examples. So you don't have to learn anything. You don't have to slave over it, but you're still, the brain still has to decipher the pattern or you can find the pattern yourself. So that's the way you deconstruct anything. Hey, so once you've got that pattern, how do you then develop it into your own voice? Okay, so... (laughs) (laughs) I'm really putting it on the spot. I understand. (laughs) No, no, no. It's um, the... What happens is that when you're getting the pattern, like when Picasso is copying someone's work, either consciously or subconsciously, what he's doing is adding to the mix. It's it's very simple when you understand how someone cooks. Uh, you'll uh, say, I'm cooking a dish, and, and, and you've never used something like mango powder before. You think, well, mango is a fruit. Where's the powder coming from? And you don't care because someone has given you a box of mango powder. And you're making a pasta, and you decide to put mango powder. And suddenly, it's like, wow, this tastes amazing. So what you've done now is you have created a style. When you take two different styles and merge them together, you get a third style. And if you start to, over time, merge styles, which is what intelligent people do all the time, they keep learning from other people and adding to their own repertoire what then morphs uh, is a style of your own. But the problem or the way things go is that you keep, if you're intelligent enough, you will continue to add to that. And so that style evolves a lot as well. So I draw cartoons and um, I've been drawing water. I've been using watercolors for the last six years and I keep a daily diary. And the, the thing is that as I paint today, it's the best possible painting I can do. Um, I thought at one point in time that it was the best I could do. But every year when I go back and review what I did last year, the previous year, it's it's such a big leap forward. And what's happened in that year? I've done two, 300 paintings and my style has morphed. Um, my brains, and, and this is not like I'm going to watercolor classes. I'm not even reading any watercolor books. I'm not even watching any watercolor videos. The brain has 300 examples of its own, my own, to then say, okay, this is what you're doing wrong, and this is what you have to fix, and I don't know how it does it, but it does it for sure. And And this is the one example I can give you where there is no outside influence. In the world of marketing, I read books, I listen to podcasts, all that stuff. With watercolors, sadly, <laughs> I haven't taken any instruction for years. And you can look at the books and there is a dramatic improvement year after year. Excellent. Excellent. You've been very generous with your time. So one last question, uh, which is probably in three parts, which is, if there's anybody throughout history that you would like to meet, who would they be? What would you cook them to eat and what would you talk about? I 
Probably, <laughs> I probably wouldn't be cooking at that point in time. Uh, not, not because of anything. I love to cook. Um, I just made some dosas for breakfast. And if you don't know what dosas are, uh, you should look them up. Yeah, it's D D O S A S. Uh, takes about five ten minutes to make them. Uh, uh, they're made of they are both carbs and protein um, in one dish. Uh, all of South India eats it almost every day. Has has done so for thousands of years. Um, so very nutritious and very good for you. But um, yeah, I probably cook them. I, I don't know. I'd probably cook a lavish meal or a very quick meal. I think that uh, Leonardo would be an interesting person to speak to, uh, maybe in his younger days, just because he was, he was so restless. Uh, I, feel, I feel like that. I feel like I have so little time to do so... There are so many things I want to do. I want to write, I want to paint, I want to dance, I want to cook, I want to do all this stuff. And uh, I see that in Leonardo's work. It's um, it's just, you know, he wanted to do everything. Uh, yes. Build myths, yeah. So uh, yeah, those were two of the questions. I don't forget the third oh, question. The other one was, what would you talk about? I would... I don't think I'd have an agenda. I think if we had enough wine, um, we'd get into a discussion. I mean, uh, there's a friend of mine that I met. Um, you know, he, he emailed me. He was from the States, but he lives in New Zealand some of the year, some part of the year. And we just met for a coffee and we started talking about talent and g genetics. And I, I don't think there is a... I think when people who are really interested in life, they will start talking about geology and genetics and talent and, um, I don't know, window blinds in the same conversation. Yes. Yeah, I understand Leonardo da Vinci once said that if you're studying mathematics, you're studying geology, you're studying animals, you're studying inventions, everything is connected. Yeah. Well, everything is connected. It's just that man is very pompous and thinks that he's, he's the center of the universe. But, you know, time will tell that the, the, the planet will go on long after we're gone. So we better, uh, <laughs> if we want to keep going. Yeah. Well, if we want to keep going, we have to be smarter than we are right now. We're yeah. a relatively pompous, uh, unintelligent group of people i mean we we don't think much of trees and we don't think you know we'll cut down a tree just mindlessly not realizing how much it contributes we'll, we'll destroy ecosystems just randomly so that's a weird way to end this conversation but that's that's the kind of thing it's when you're having a conversation you, you can talk about bacteria in the same breath as you talk about marketing yes i love it love it so if people want to find out more about what you do and access some of your information, how do we start? I think a good place to start is to get over resistance. So they can go to psychotactics.com slash resistance and they'll get a book on resistance. They can read, on, read up on how to overcome that resistance because eventually 
the fact that we're taking three months off and we're doing all that stuff is because we are fighting resistance or rather we're making friends we're making friends with resistance and then working through that so psychotactics.com slash resistance and of course there's the three month vacation which is on iTunes or Stitcher excellent thank you ever so much and I'll put those in the show notes so we'll have a link directly to the resistance piece Sean you've been very kind very generous you're welcome I enjoy this <laughs> excellent and it shows it shows thank you ever so much and uh, hopefully we'll catch up soon we will thank you thank you thank you Sean thank you for tuning in you were just listening to NLPcourses.com podcast show if you enjoyed the show please leave a review and make sure to head over to NLPcourses.com to subscribe to our newsletter where we keep you updated with in-depth NLP topics subscribe and stay tuned for upcoming episodes on neuro linguistics programming and beyond